Welcome back to More Beach Meetings Podcast. I'm your host, Carson Sweezy. Today's guest is Ken Weary. Ken is an American digital nomad dad. For more than four years, he's been traveling with his family across Central America, Europe, and South Africa. He works for Hotjar as the VP of Operations. Hotjar is a European-based startup with over 70 remote team members, all globally distributed. So they're an entirely remote company. Prior to his travels, Ken held leadership positions in traditional corporate environments where he gained great experience, but was tied to his desk. Ken relishes life outside the cube, as he says, and we get into that as well as topics around what it's like to be a digital nomadic family. So Ken, you work for Hotjar. Can you tell us a little bit about what Hotjar is for anyone who's not familiar with Hotjar out there? Yeah, for sure. So we're a service that was started in 2014 with the idea that uh, website owners, designers, uh, UX, UI designers, marketers needed somehow to have the ability to get insights about their users so they could build better experiences for them. We developed an all-in-one SaaS-based solution that allows you to understand and interact uh, with your users to the degree that you want to and that they want to interact with you. So it's as non-intrusive as heat maps or recordings where you can actually see how people are using your site from watching a screencast of them or vetted feedback tools where you can ask them directly for information about how they like your site or if they have questions or if they find something confusing. It's an all-in-one service with seven different tools built in. You can sign up for a free trial at hotjar.com. And what is your role with Hotjar? I'm the vice president of operations and operations at Hotjar is really kind of the back end of the business. So legal, finance, compliance, uh, human resources, and a variety of miscellaneous things that the CEO doesn't want to do. And Hotjar is entirely remote and distributed. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. We just brought on, uh, signed a contract for our, our 72nd. So we have 72 team members and, uh, 100% distributed. About 80% of the team members are in the European-based time zone, north to south from as far north to Sweden and far south as South Africa, with the other 20% spread across the Americas for the most part, US, Canada, and Brazil. I'm curious, since you're in the operations and, and deal a lot with the HR, I'm wondering if there's some kind of link that you've noticed, or maybe something that we could create a notice of, between the product and companies that go remote or decide to be distributed. Have you noticed anything, any correlation with the type of service being offered or the type of product that's being offered with that being something in line with remote or distributed companies? There's a natural inclination to think startups or SaaS base. Um, And so the, which Hotjar is both, but there's also, if you look at it, I would tend to say it's more than that. I would I, I think culturally, it's it's those that are, tend to be more progressive. I'm a firm believer that remote-based work is the way of the future uh, from the aspect of just logistically, it's better for the environment, it's better use of time and efficiency, and breaks down uh, hiring barriers. And I think that the companies that tend to go remote are tend to be a bit more leading edge and leaning into that from a progressive standpoint to say, what's the best way to get talent? What's the best way to save on uh, overhead? What's the best way to really utilize time to the most efficient uh, aspect of our entire team? And those that think in a more in a more progressive way or less traditional are the ones that really soak it up more than others. Yeah, I'd love to dive into some of those things you mentioned, especially in the hiring. What do you mean by breaking down hiring barriers? 
from the aspect of you know traditional brick and mortar company and looks for the aspect has is confined just by default geographically right you have to live in that area in order to work for them or you have to be willing to relocate to that area and there's been times in my career where I've looked around and said, wow, I'd love to work for that company, but man, I certainly don't want to move to that city. And when you think remote, when you think globally, there are no barriers anymore. And so from the aspect of you're able to recruit from a talent uh, and workforce that is much larger than your central geography or uh, have to worry about the moving costs of uh, relocating team members and hoping that they like the new city. So that's not something remote companies have to worry about. It's more of, you know, not to say that that it's all roses either because there are additional worries like, you know, hey, I, I hope this person is comfortable working remote and uh, and likes working remote. But at the same point in time, anytime a new, a new team member starts, whether it's in an office or on a virtual environment, you don't know if they're going to be a perfect fit. Yeah, either way, you do your best through screening and hiring to do that. So what are some of the things that you look for in the screening process that that you especially have to look out for because you're remote and distributed? We like to look for people who are definitely very keen on um, autonomous work. So are they self-starters? Do they have the ability to figure out problems? Um, Are they uh, independent thinkers, both in how they approach their work, but also how they solve problems? You you can find those in a traditional workplace, but those are ones that we, we definitely tend to screen more for. And so part of our And we do that in a variety of ways uh, through our recruitment process. I would say most specifically, the last phase of our uh, hiring process, which everything's posted online uh, on our website, well, as to how we, we, what our hiring process is. But the last phase is what we call our task phase, where we actually ask the finalists um, for every position to complete a task that is roughly two to three days worth of work over the course of a period of time that suits uh, their own schedule. And we compensate the individuals for their time for these two to three days worth of work with the aspect to see, to give two-way feedback. They get an idea as to what it's like to do work with Hotjar. So we give them access into our Slack channels. We uh, share with them some additional information about our business to help us solve a problem that we're having through this task for the deliverables that they're creating. And they get an idea as to what it's like to, again, interact with us via Slack and uh, or email or our discourse forums or a variety of different tools and channels that may be relevant to the task. And we get to see how they work within that environment. Are they constantly uh, dinging us with questions or are they not asking any questions because they're, they're really concerned about bugging us or are they appropriately, you know, are, are more ideally collaborative? with us and saying, hey, here's some things. I'd love to get any feedback when when you have time in order to find that right balance is uh, really one of the things we look for in our screening process. Yeah. What I love about that is is what you mentioned, the two-way feedback. So not only are you screening them and making sure that they're a good fit with what you guys have, but that you can also see if they like working with you and if the work's interesting to them. Oh, it's critical because and we, we've had people finish the task and say, you know what, here's the work, uh, but I got to tell you, this isn't the job for me. I didn't feel comfortable in working in this way, or I missed the office uh, environment. And we try to supplement that in our own way, but everybody's got their own preferences and ways to interact. And so it really gives them a good taste. Yeah. When you talk about progressive cultures and progressive companies and, and kind of the future of work, this is another one of those components where 
you're not just being hired and, and working for a company because they hired you and, and you've committed to it and you don't really have a choice and you feel like you have to work there for a year or two before you get out of a situation. You're like, now you can test the waters and, and get a better feel for, for the fit on both sides. So I love that. As far as the culture though, and cultivating that when someone is hired, what do you guys do to, to cultivate that company culture? One of the things we do for every task participant, uh, as I mentioned, we invite them to some of our systems. One of the things we do is we share with them our, our, our team manual. And it's, it's a manual that gives an ideas to different aspects about how we work together, the tools we use, and very pertinent to this question, our, team, our core values. And so our core values are something that I think uh, I've never worked in a place that really really grasps and, and embeds the core values the way we work. They're, we have five of them and they're really meant to be really our, our roadmap as to how we get work done. So if I'm on uh, vacation, my entire team gets an idea as to, you know, as, as long as I'm following our core values, I don't need additional direction or I don't need to second guess what, what we can do. And they're stack ranked, they're the first of which is obsess over our users. So that being our first and foremost core value and are we doing whatever we need whatever we can within reason of course to really deliver for our customer the second being be bold and move fast are we doing it in an expedient manner with appropriate levels of attention to the details and third work with respect those we're collaborating with how are we doing it are we uh, trusting our coworkers are we being honest tolerant and inclusive fourth being build trust with transparency this is really, really critical to our DNA. We are very open book across any topic or any aspect uh, of our company so that everybody's fully aware of what's going on. It doesn't matter if you're in marketing or if you're in the, the engineering side. You want to know what the other team is doing, what the priorities are, uh, how the performance is. It's all there to see. And the fifth, learn by doing. We know we're going to make mistakes. The idea is every single day, we're going to get better and better. And so the idea behind these core values is not just to have them on a piece of paper that people can refer to, but also to live them and demonstrate them. And so uh, we're constantly constantly referring to our core values, um, any one of those single five, to make sure that we are on track with really living truly to how we want to run the company and how we want everybody to perform. When Hotjar was created, were those values created knowing that you wanted to hire remote workers and be a distributed company or which came first there? Before the company hired its first employees, the founders sat down and they came up with the list of core values, which you could say, well, it sounds a little early. Weren't they busy building the product and getting it out? I I think it's extremely insightful to first sit down and write the core values because the question that they ask themselves are, what are the people we want to work with like? And originally, they started with a list of eight. And then this past year, we actually, um, uh, due to the growth that we've had within the company, they started that when they were just five people hiring their first employee. And now we're 72. So this past year, we took a look at the, the core values and said, are they, are they all still relevant? Are we living them to the way that we want? And more than anything, what reson- are they resonating with the team? And we went through uh, an exercise to get. And we actually even brought in an outside consultant to help to make sure we weren't biased within ourselves to say, what is it that's pertinent about our values? What's the most resonating elements of them? And we refined them. So I wouldn't say that the eight, uh, there, there was, they weren't majorly overhauled. They were just uh, tweaked, refined, and uh, summarized uh, into the five that we have. 
I think that shows how important the values are because it's easy, I think, for established companies, especially to just stick with values and you might see the same values for 50 years for some of these older firms, you know, but having the, uh, the understanding that these are crucial to how you operate and, and that you need to kind of refine them and, and make sure they're still aligned. I think that, that just speaks to how vital they are for you guys. Yeah, I, I agree. I've, I've worked in places where, yeah, we have core values or mottos, or but you, at the end of the day, you don't even remember what they are. They just, they're feel-good words. And we try to embody them by stuff like learn by doing. It's okay. We, we recognize mistakes are going to happen. And sometimes you are learning on the job as you do and build things and experiment. And failure is, uh, is, is certainly an option and definitely a requirement within some of the work that we do. We need to do it in order to make sure we build the product that's best to roll back up to our first value of obsessing over our users. On a bit of a more personal level, Ken, I know not only are you remote, but you're a digital nomad. And you're a digital nomad and you're a digital nomad with your family, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So how did this opportunity come about? Were, were you working for someone else and then decided you wanted to go digital and then tried to find remote opportunities? Or were you working with Hotjar and decided to go digital nomad? Again, with that question, which came first here? The nomad came first before Hotjar. So about five years ago, my wife and I were on vacation, just the two of us in Guatemala. And while we were there, we met some other expats that were, were living in Guatemala, uh, rural central highlands. And we're like, wow, look at this. Never would have expected just uh, expats uh, from America, Canada, here in the middle of Guatemala. And uh, it really planted a seed in our head of like, hey, it'd be really kind of cool to live here for a while. And, but yeah, that would get old. Where else would we like to go? And then next thing you know, we started just saying, wow, it'd be cool to go to Costa Rica and Mexico. And so what then transpired is for the next six months, we were thinking about and just really kind of just dreaming about the idea of like, wow, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to wait for vacation to travel and explore and experience new areas? And we just decided, you know, we, we could do this and we could, we could actually utilizing the resources uh, online could work virtually. And uh, so four and a half years ago, quit my job living in Seattle, Washington. And we, uh, drove south to Mexico, Guatemala, and actually spent two and a half years throughout Central America and with our kids. And I have a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old, but this was four and a half years ago when they were even younger. And um, working online, utilizing my professional network, as well as finding other contract gigs. And then two and a half years ago, I found Hotjar and have been uh, with them full-time ever since. What did that look like? Because I feel... Like I know at least more digital nomads that do more of the freelance or contract work or just kind of work for themselves. But uh, what did it look like finding a company that meshed with your values and allowed you to to work wherever you wanted to? I'll tell you that that today it's a lot easier than it was then. It was, I'd work on contract basis and uh, pick up gigs through, again, either people I knew from the States or people that I'd connected with online. So there was platforms like virtual vocation or flex jobs where you can screen down by, I'm looking for gigs that are part-time remote or full-time remote or short-term, long-term or full-time contract, non-contract uh, type of filters. And so I started going through those when I was uh, in between contracts. And then uh, it was at that time that I uh, saw the position for Hotjar that was uh, for VP of Operations. And 
it was a good match for what I was looking what I was looking for in my skill set and was available for 100% remote, which is uh, a requirement I had. And um, but then from there, as I started to dig in and learn more about the company, that's where I really got hooked to say, "Wow, this is a company that is out to to build a really awesome product and grow in some really phenomenal and progressive ways." So I want to get back to the family because something you mentioned just with their age, I was curious about how did the how did your kids respond to this when you decided to to leave Seattle? My son was five, my daughter was eight, and the was about to uh, go into in, enter into kindergarten in the in the state, so he hadn't really had those started to build those longer term friendships from school. So it was less of an issue for him. My daughter uh, was in a public school for two years in Seattle, and it's a school that she loved. So she was very much torn of like, I don't want to go. I do not want to go. And it was a public school, but it was also a, a choice school, meaning uh, the only way you could get in is by lottery. And so by leaving, we'd lose our lottery spot. And so she knew that, we all knew that, but my wife and I made the decision of this is what we, we want to do for our family. And we initially settled in Guatemala for a bit, the same, the same town we'd been in. Both kids went to an international school where coincidentally my wife ended up teaching there um, and was the teacher for my daughter. I think it was, yeah, it was third grade at the time. And my wife is a former educator and it was just a natural and uh, while they were there, while my wife was teaching my daughter's class, uh, that's when it dawned on us of like, it's, we don't need a school. We will we'll, we'll use this planet as our school. And my wife is the main teacher, me as a secondary teacher. And uh, after the, the season ended, we uh, left uh, Guatemala and went to Costa Rica and, and Nicaragua and Panama and so forth, where uh, we have been homeschooling now ever since uh, for the past three and a half years. I'm just curious what some of the lessons look like. Are, are there lessons defined or is it more just uh, here's the world and, and go learn? I know you mentioned that you call it world schooling. So yeah. what is the nature of the, the learning look like? From a listener standpoint, it really depends on how much you know about homeschooling. So there's a whole paradigm of homeschooling from the there's individuals who do a very strict structured schooling hour. You wake up at 8 a.m., you start school and you and you go until the end of the day. So it's almost like a classroom environment at home. And there's uh, and then on one on the other end of the extreme is unschooling where it is uh, 100% up to the kids' interest to pursue what they're interested in with a parent support. And we're kind of somewhere in the middle but more towards the unschooling side from the perspective of the um, we we do Definitely make sure that they have good, strong foundation in the curriculums uh, of math and reading and writing. But we definitely don't start school every day. We don't have school every day. We have school in a lot less structured aspect where my wife is definitely focused on core curriculum and utilizes a slew of on- online resources to make sure that they're uh, on or uh, on at or above target for for their age. And, and we're extremely happy with where they're at, which is uh, well above. But then we supplement with what is their interest? What do they want? Right? What, what are they interested in? So my daughter was interested in falcons. She was really drawn to birds of prey. And 
We're currently in the UK right now, and there's a falconry school not too far from here. You get to go there and experience and hold these big birds, and you get to feed them. And these are not ones that are necessarily captive birds. These are birds that have been injured and have been actually rescued. And we get to see different aspects and learn about them and their environment. My son was interested in, in doing coding. He wanted to learn coding. And we were in Albania earlier this year. And we found a uh, an alternative uh, education aspect in Albania after school for kids that normally go to school and they speak English. And they, uh, my son started taking coding lessons there. You know, my daughter wanted to learn uh, g- genetics, and online, my wife found something that just really struck a chord with my daughter. And it was a genetics class online taught with the foundation and basis of Harry Potter. And the uh, interactions and interrelations of different genetic characteristics of the characters within the story, which are extremely detailed and spot on. And so then that built into something that just grew. But then other times it's even more serendipitous. We were in Honduras and I wanted to go scuba diving. I'm a certified scuba diver. My daughter said, hey, I'd love to learn how to scuba dive. So sure enough, at uh, youngest, the earliest they'll let you get certified as a scuba diver is 10 years of age. And my daughter was hmm. 10 and she, got, she learned how to scuba dive in Honduras, which of course is math, it's science, it's physical activity, just, uh, and being able, and then me being able to experience that her first open water dive uh, with her and her dive master was just uh, really awesome. But I, I could just go on, like from Anne Frank's house to World War II to Charles Darwin's house. We do a ton of stuff and we supplement education in the real world where they're able to see and learn and interact and touch and feel things that I'm just now doing in certain cases uh, as, a, as an adult. It sounds incredible. As someone, you know, speaking from someone that, like myself, designed their own degree, I think that kind of schooling really leads a lot to building out different neurons in your brain, you know, I mean, when you're interested in a subject or when you're more passionate than just being told what to learn, I, I think it just creates more pathways for learning to build upon itself. Add one thing that I, I totally agree. And I think it, it teaches more than anything. The one thing we want our kids to know, and the one thing I think any human needs to invest in, which is learning how to learn. For listeners out there, if they're no, other nomadic families, or if they're interested in becoming nomadic and wondering how do I manage school with my kids? Are there communities out there that you guys have found? I know you write the blog and, and that seems to have a sense of community behind it, but what did you guys find useful for, for resources as a, as a nomadic family? Yeah. So I, I would say there, there are a ton of resources uh, out, out there and a ton of communities. So I talked about like Harry Potter genetics and a potions and spell chemistry class my daughter took. I mean, there's just phenomenal, phenomenal things out there. And there's ones that teach, however, whatever your pedagogy or whatever your belief in how education should be done, there are ones out there that cater to you. And there's ones that come about uh, all the time. And so the, one of the, uh, the biggest resources I would say that my wife uses uh, every week is, uh, is Facebook. One of the last things we use Facebook huh. for are these, there's, gin- there's phenomenal groups out there for world schooling or homeschooling in you can look uh, in a geographic aspect. So a lot of times when we go to a new city or new country, one of the things we'll look for is like homeschooling London or whatever the, the, the city is. And I guarantee you there will be a community there as long as it's uh, of, of any of any medium-sized city. And 
there you can connect with other people there locally and so you can find out about other activities that are uh, are get togethers so you can so you're not alone you're not there are people nearby that you can connect with and and uh, and, and you're not isolated and then online utilizing those resources or global larger more global resources like i think there's i think it's homeschooling the world is a huge huge like like 20,000 people community where questions are there resources are there and it's free course. And then there's other ones that uh, we've utilized for buying curriculum, selling curriculum, all kinds of stuff. What are some of the challenges that you've faced as a nomadic family? The biggest one by far is uh, the fact that we're nomadic and the kids building relationships, which is one of the reasons why we're headed to Prague in a month to look to actually set up a home base for a year so that we can, the kids can actually get more invested into relationships with other kids. So it's their aspect is very transactional where they'll meet a kid and then a month from then, uh, a month later, we're gone or the kid's gone uh, that they've connected with. And then building and maintaining that relationship is very difficult when you're nine years old and you only met somebody for a month. That I would say is by far the biggest downside. If my son was on this uh, this interview, he would tell you the fact that he can't have a dog is another <laughs> big one. He would love to have a dog. And we have met other families that travel with pets, but it's, it's a very, very big thing. And we don't feel that that's fair to the pet from yeah. at least not how we live. On the flip side, due to the, that transactional nature of, uh, of friendships, they, they could meet a stranger and be friends with them and you know, in, in two minutes, they can suss out on a playground, who are the kids that they are most likely to connect with almost like it, it's an art and they have it dialed in and um, mm-hmm. can tell like, Oh, there's something, there's something off here. I'm that's not the right kid. This, let me go look over here. Or there's nobody, you could be at a park and there's 10 kids and they'll tell you there's no kids around. And we're like, what are you talking about? Look at these kids. And they're like, no, no, no. There's, when I ran over there, this, that, and the other, just picking up little, almost like spidey senses that are uh, really, really cool to watch and, and highly tuned. Yeah. I mean, talk about skills that, that they're learning. That Those social skills sound like a lot of, a lot of times people <laughs> aren't learning until high school or college at the very least. And it seems just from what I've read in different sociological papers that those skills are even harder to come by now with how tied into digital devices that kids are becoming, you know. What about proudest moments that you've, that you've had as a digital dad, a digital nomad dad? I would say really just watching them, watching my kids interact uh, on, a, on a regular basis. And I say that from the aspect of they have more street smarts than most adults. They've been in interactions with me and my wife, you know, working within, working, interacting with different cultures, uh, different situations. I mean, my son was with me when he was in Nicaragua and got pulled over and the cops trying to very deliberately ask for a bribe. My son's there and watching the whole thing and understanding it and being able to be aware as to the situation. But I would say on the flip side of that, they, one of the things that gives me a huge amount of warmth is the lack of judgment that my kids have because the diversity of what they've seen and the situations that they've seen, they don't look at a situation and say, well, well that's funny. What they're doing is, is odd. I don't get that. Um, they recognize that people are different and people are in, and that's a cool thing. And they learn from it. You know, my, 
my kids have, you know, played soccer or football with a Coke can many times uh, with other kids because they didn't have money for a soccer ball. And that's okay. That's fun. That's playing. There's no aspects of, you know, why don't they have a soccer ball? It's just, that's what they use. And they understand that the cop that was shaking me down for a bribe in Nicaragua, why that doesn't mean he's, he's an evil guy. It's, you know, understand, they ask why, you know, so many times and being able to explain to them the different dynamics that go into a part of why policemen in Nicaragua are paid so little. And so looking at the different aspects is really, I would say that's the proudest thing is recognizing the positives that our lifestyle has on them and their education and their outlook on life. I'm sure if they, if they decide to go to college, they'll have some interesting topics and stories for writing some entry essays. So now's a good time to get into the hustle round. There are a few more questions. We can just kind of run through them if you need a, a breather or a break or a splash of Gatorade before we hustle on through. <laughs> I'm good to go, man. Okay, cool. Let's get into it. What quote or piece of advice is on your mind? I'd say one of, uh, one of my favorite quotes is by Babs Hoffman, who was, she was uh, a female professional uh, baseball player back in the women's uh, professional league in the thirties. But she I read a quote by her and I don't even remember where I saw this originally, but the uh, said, stop worrying about the potholes on the road and enjoy the journey. And that just resonates with me from the aspect of, you know, nothing's ever going to be perfect. Nothing's ever going to be to go as planned, whether that's in your, in your uh, professional life or personal life, there's always going to be bumps in the roads or snags in the shirt or whatever, but it's, it's the whole package. And uh, when you get stuck on the small things, then you can be mired with so much negativity. And instead of, you know, maybe you had a bad day, make it a good month. The next question I usually ask is, what's an activity that you've learned a lot from? But considering how much you travel and all, I'm sure there's quite a few. And, and I want to put a little twist on this. What's something that you like to do, it's part of your routine, no matter where you are, no matter what country you're in, that, that teaches you something? That's my big hobby is I, I love to run. It's something that centers me, it calms me, it you know, allows me de- decompression, headspace. And um, I love to run. And that involves running races in different countries. The uh, uh, last race I ran was a half marathon in Albania. Um, and I'm looking for my next race now. But the um, Every single time we, uh, we're in a new city, the first thing I'll do is I'll, I'll usually wake up before the rest of the family and go out running and allows me to get to know the neighborhoods, the cities, the streets, different aspects of it so that we can, uh, and it helps, you know, it's, it's a lot better than just looking at Google Maps and saying, where do we want to go? Oftentimes we'll be in a city for two months and I'll know the city better than my wife, but I'm in a co-working space working all day and she's out with the kids checking out monuments. How do, you know, I know the city better because I've run it every single, quite frequently. It's one of the things I do that the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question. That's great. It's meditative and yeah, you get to be a scout for the family, huh? (laughs) Yeah. What about, uh, productivity tool or Google Chrome extension? Do you have a favorite that you like? Throw two out. Um, and so the, the first being Feedly. So Feedly being an RSS aggregator. So it's, it's how I consume my news every day. And so I'm subscribed to a number of different feeds that I break down into different categories from influencers to, to news, to technology, to travel hacks, to uh, running. 
And every day it's it's my newspaper. Um, it floods in all the different aspects from those sources and uh, just kind of leaf through them. And it's tailor-made for me. So the other one would be one that the family uses all around, which is uh, just a simple list taker, which is Wonderlist. Not an old tool, but very useful tool and works on uh, all of us have a digital phone or tablet in the family. And it allows us to maintain grocery lists, Christmas lists, to-do lists, movie movies, uh, anything like that that we want to see. What about a book or influencer that that you've been obsessing about recently? I would say recently read American Kingpin, which is the story of the takedown of the Silk Road. Phenomenal book about almost, it's written almost as a movie about the real life takedown of what needed to be done in order to take that down, which I found to be an extremely, it's, it's, I finished it probably a month ago and it's still in my head because I found it to be so intriguing of one person can accomplish when they're impassioned in, in their belief, which was creating the Silk Road, and how that passion can really turn into a dark obsession and take involve a breakdown of ideals and then what it takes to undertake that from a law enforcement perspective. Just really, really interesting uh, on both sides. Another book I'm reading right now, which is very topical to, to this conversation, is uh, Basecamp's newest book by Jason Fried and DHH of It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. Mm-hmm. I'm about halfway through it and uh, really, really enjoying that. Basecamp being another remote-based company and looking and understanding how, how they tackle some of the same problems we tackle. Um, and uh, Sometimes with a similar approach, sometimes it's very different. Yeah. Really great book. That's awesome. You're the second guest that's mentioned that book, so I'm going to have to pick up a copy. Last question. If you were in a room full of entrepreneurs and challenged, to, challenged them to solve a problem within remote working or, or distributed companies, what's something that you would ask them to tackle? I would say sticking to the aspect of solving a problem for distributed companies. One of the things as a fully distributed company we're blessed and cursed with is the number of applicants that apply for a job at Hotjar. And I know this this is not unique amongst uh, remote companies. You open a position and you get a flood of people, which is awesome because they're interested, but there's a lot of people because of the nature of our business and the aspect of it being remote that apply that um, just want to work in a remote job. I would say be awesome if there was a service or source to widow it down and say, here are the qualified people that you should take a look at. Yeah, it sounds like there (laughs) certainly would be a need for that. Great. Well, Ken, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all your thoughts and and telling us about how the nomadic family works and, and everything with that nature. So thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode with Ken Weary. You can follow his story on sunglassesrequired.com. That's their family blog where they share updates of their travels and tidbits on uh, places that they've traveled to. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.